0: Welcome to the P4C Podcast. We are excited to reshare with you the last 13 years of teaching through God's Word at Passion for Christ Summit. Each week, the P4C Podcast delivers rich truths for your life, and we know you will be blessed. Our current series is from P4C 2021, Scripture, the Ultimate Authority. We now join Daniel Kavanaugh, Micah Kavanaugh, Charles Kavanaugh, Phil Bracey and Ben Russell for the P4C 2021 panel discussion. We hope you are encouraged and challenged. Now, we, um, we spent some time this afternoon
1: going through the questions that were put in the chalice, and um, I think we should keep that chalice. I really do. You gonna take it with us? It's actually the facilities. Yeah, no, 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 no,
2: no,
3: the chalice of knowledge.
1: The chalice of knowledge. That's right. <laughs> Although
3: this one was full of questions,
0: <laughs> <laughs> the knowledge <It's> empty. <laughs> <And>
3: empty. <laughs>
1: We're going to fill it with knowledge. Uh, but no, we, we we went through the questions this afternoon and just spent some time kind of going over and um, really just wanting to really give answers that are biblical. You know, we don't want to give answers that are of men. Um, the men up here have studied God's word. Some of us have had more experience in studying God's word than others, meaning this is the young side of the group. Um, and the wisdom kind of hangs over in the middle there, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but those listening to this recording, there's a young guy sitting on the other end, (laughs) but no, uh, we definitely want to just give answers that are biblical. Um, and not just of men. So this first question we have here, we'll just jump right in and dive in, is um, as you see the church of Christ grow, um, are there traditions, and there's quotations in this question, uh, that see the church, that you see the church accepting that could be dangerous um, to the churches around us or the ones we're a part of? or not a part of. And um, Dad, I'll kind of just throw this one to you at first and maybe start with that and then we can go around and, and, and give thoughts on that. But do you see traditions <coughs> that may be dangerous uh, that or may not be helpful?
4: You're it's up. Only me. Yes. I'm the guy who can't hear. <coughs> um, w- when I heard that question, I immediately thought a couple of things. One is that maybe somebody has something in particular in mind and... I can't remember the other thing. I did this a while ago. Um, the, um, the, the concept of tradition is not bad in and of itself. There are good traditions. And many traditions that we have in church are non-biblical. And by that I mean they are neither biblical or not biblical. Unbiblical. They are non-biblical. They're not addressed. Just something as simple as having three hymns and an offering. And maybe you're too young to remember that tradition, you know, but it, you maybe have been in churches where at some time they had a couple of hymns, had an offering, and then a song, well, the offering was offered, and then another hymn, and then the message, and maybe an invitation or altar call. That's, that form is non-biblical. It's not addressed in Scripture. It is it new, biblical, or unbiblical? Is it good or bad? Yes, I mean, it's, it's good in that it gives order to a worship service. It's bad if we begin to think of it as necessary in order to worship right. And so bad, bad traditions are those traditions which we say are ne- necessarily biblical when they aren't. And that's what Jesus addressed when he was asked. And or he would say... Um, you do things according to the tradition of the elders. He wasn't talking about good things. He was talking about things that people did that had nothing to do with truth. In fact, they heard the truth because the focus was on those traditions. Um, the Mishnah and, uh, and the other commentaries on the law, the things out of that became traditions. You know, like Jesus said, you, you uh, won't eat with unwashed hands and, and certain other things. And he, he said, if if it's a man-made tradition, yeah, it's bad. Now, are there some traditions that can hurt the church? Yes. Now, then comes the answer of appropriateness. Some things are appropriate and some things are not appropriate. And different congregations will disagree on that. But if I told you the things I thought were inappropriate, you would think, well, he's an old guy, you know. But... I. Um, so you know, I don't know if that helps, but somebody else might have something to add. Yeah, to it think.
1: does. And, and I think when you, when you talk about traditions, one of the things that can happen is is we can scorn traditions that can be good. I, I think we have to be careful. We don't want to be scorners. We don't want, I think it's, it, it's hard for we as young people, we have new ideas and new things, you know, and it's not bad. Um, but there are traditions, for instance, taking up the offering. It's interesting, our church used to take up the offering all the time. like It was a part of a worship service And COVID hit. And then, I mean, we may have done it before that, but it definitely we just kind of quit right. doing that kind of thing, and, and we haven't ever gone back. And so it was more about a just necessity that it quit. But it was a part of the worship service, and that's what it was originally intended for, was to bring your tithes and offerings and this idea of worship and honoring God with what he has given us, with the first fruits. So that it's tradition, it was a corporate act. Yeah, so it's, it's, it was not a bad thing. And we don't do it now. We have a box in the back of our church, and that's where people drop it, or now you can go on your phone and give, which I think does take away from that concept of worship. worship. It's like, oh, i just get on and I Venmo non- you some money. You it know. is
4: non-biblical.
1: But that it is. is. It's yeah. non-biblical. It's not unbiblical.
5: But it served a purpose, yeah. Yeah. and it was a good purpose. So,
4: and, and I
5: think that that's the key is if it's tradition that's starting to be treated as if it's biblical, mm-hmm. that becomes problematic. Um, we've never taken an offering in our church. It's always been a, a box in the back. Um, communion. Some may do it weekly. Some may do it monthly. Some may do it quarterly. It's the tradition of your church. Um, but, but are you doing when, it? But are you doing it? Right. Exactly. I think it's when, or we've all heard it, but we've always done it that way. Right, you get locked or into we've that. Never done it. Or never done it that way. <laughs> and that becomes a, a leadership issue that needs they need to address that and to start rethinking that and say, are we locked into something we should not be locked in? On the other hand, tradition I think can be helpful. And I think often today the average Christian doesn't even realize that for those of us in an Orthodox Christian setting, we pretty much are doing church. About the way it was done in the first century, uh, I was I was reading an article by uh, Justin Martyr, first century church father, dated right about A.D. 100, and he was having to appeal to the emperor of Rome. They were under persecution, accusation, eating the blood of children, communion, eating the flesh of children, the bread, etc. So he wrote a lengthy dissertation to the emperor defending the Christian faith. And he said, look, per the apostles' instructions, we gather on the first day of the, Lord, of the, of the week, that being the Lord's Day, Sunday, we gather in a home, we sing a hymn, they, had, they didn't have this great stuff, we sing a hymn, the president, that's what the pastor was called, the president gives us instruction from the word. It may involve reading one of the latest letters that's been circulated, and we observe communion—the bread and the cup. For those that are sick, infirm, unable to attend, the deacons then take the elements and go to their homes. We close with a hymn. That's pretty much how church rolled in A.D. 100, and changed a whole lot from that basic premise to today. It's still tradition. First day, of the Lord. Now that's. Not a requirement, but that's where it began. So, yeah. yeah, tradition I think can be really important. It's when it rises level of supposed doctrine we've right. got a big problem. Anything up, Ben? Yeah. yeah, I think
3: that so. as you guys are at the stage that you're at, in just a you're in a very transient stage, right? You're going to be some of you moving before too long, or uh, even moving away, and that's great. But uh, when you're looking for churches, I think that's something to keep in mind so that you're not like this holding things that you really aren't necessarily needing to hold tightly, uh, too tightly so that when you go to a new church or you're church shopping, you know what to look for and that you're not instantly turned off because they're doing something that your church said, ah, in our, in our history, this did not go well. We're, we weren't doing this. And so I think you need to come into it open-handed to find out, is it a heart issue for them, for that particular church? Is that something that they're clinging on to and making a worship issue when it's really not? And that's something to just be aware of as you guys
4: are kind of moving through this stage of life.
1: Anyone else on that one? Um,
4: when I was a pastor, I was a pastor of a small, rural Southern Baptist church. Well, Southern Baptists have lots of traditions. They don't call them that. But, but they are. <clears throat> yeah, but they are. And it's just what we've always done. One of the things that happened over the years in Southern Baptist life was you had four services on Sunday. Not services, but you had Bible study It's called Sunday School. You had worship. You had afternoon off. And then you had what was called, when we fi- I finally left that church and went to another church, was discipleship training. It had been called church training, training union, and BYPU. And so here we are in a church, small church, and Sunday night was not well attended then, like it usually isn't well attended now. So we had this church training or discipleship training and we couldn't get enough people to come to even have classes, to teach the classes. So I talked with, we had a church council and we talked. I said, why don't we just do away church training? I mean, we can't even get enough people to teach. They thought about it. I gave them a little time to think about it because it's a big deal. We're cutting out something we've always done. Okay, we announced ahead of time we were going to vote on it. People came to the business meeting to vote who never came to discipleship training. And they got up and talked about how when I was a kid, we are, you know, we're not going to do this anymore. Okay, fine. We didn't, I, I'm not going to fight about this tradition. But there, that's the example. We're, we're attached to something that we don't even support. But it's a tradition, so we're going to keep doing it. Um, It fell off to the wayside anyway, because nobody came. So that's just how we can be attached. And it doesn't matter if you're young or old. You can still be attached to something. It's not necessarily biblical. And that's something of what Ben was talking about as well.
1: Yeah, and I think we have to realize that there was a purpose for why they did those things. And we lost the purpose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we lost the purpose for why we did it. And now nobody's coming, and it's like, well, maybe we should start something that replaces it because it was really good. It was I training I even suggested people. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Good. Very good, gentlemen. I think that, that really helps kind of work through that issue of tradition. Um, this next question here, and, and I will direct this to you, Phil, uh, just because it really touches some things that you talked about in your sermon, and then we kind of fill in. One of the questions, or the question is, can you walk through canonization, And you might have to explain that word to a little bit more. And what criterias were used in canonization of the scriptures?
5: Okay. Yeah. So so canonization is how did we arrive? And I'm going to address, let's talk the the New Testament. Because obviously by the time Christ arrived on the scene, the canon, the, the books of the Old Testament, that was settled. If it were not settled, Christ would have addressed it when he was here and called out the error. He never did that, and in fact, quoted at length from it. So we know that was settled. And the the compilers, if you will, and the authors, it was all nice and tight. Now he comes along, as a result of the crucifixion, the resurrection, etc. cetera, now we're at ballpark AD 45, roughly a dozen years-ish to 15 years later, the apostles are now going to start writing scripture. And over time, we've got 27 different books that have been landed on and settled as New Testament canon, okay? Now, let me make a distinction between functional canon and formal canon. Functional canon had essentially been decided on by probably no later Than AD 150, within roughly that first hundred years of the early church, they had already listed out and defined what those 27 books were. The formal canon came much later at church councils, where it was then defined, alliterated, written down, and recorded, said, these are the 27 books. It didn't change between the functional and the formal, they just formalized it, Okay. Now the text, so let's talk for a moment about the text because there was criteria and I was making some notes and doing some thinking on that this afternoon. To consider any one of these gospels or letters, um, there was certain criteria that the church fathers applied to it. One of the obvious things, let's consider this just for a moment. If you are comparatively young in the Jewish community, and you saw Christ in your synagogue and he did a miracle and you observed the ministry in that time as well as thousands of Jewish people and then one of these apostles turns around and writes out the gospel, you have the ability to read that and yay or nay, you can refute it or agree with it because you're an eyewitness to the same stuff they were That community of believers and Jews seeing those letters being circulated had the ability right then and there to say, this is not right, or it is right. That was not disputed. So you've got that, just the the community, if you will, to approve or disapprove that. But those documents had to have apostolic origin. So you'll note over and over, Paul, an apostle, Lord Jesus Christ, writes to... He's giving his title, his position. When somebody calls himself an apostle in that culture, that was a weighty, weighty title. An apostle was deemed the equivalent of the person themselves. So in the case of the centurion, when it was said, you'll you'll see what appears to be a contradiction in the test. Matthew says that um, the, um, the elders came to Jesus, in Luke, it says that the centurion then talked to the elders and they sent messengers. The the same was, it didn't matter. It's not a contradiction. An apostle is equal to the person that sent him. Paul is equal in weight and authority to Jesus Christ. So it had to have apostolic uh, authorship origin. It had to be recognized among all the churches that these were circulating. And, and they had to look at the content. Was there apostolic content there? Um, did it deal with the life, the resurrection, and was the, the content such that it was glorifying to God? So, so that's, um, I think, one of the key. Though, those are the basic criteria that they used to evaluate these texts when they landed on these 27 27 books so, and obviously this and is a course formalized. that you can
1: take you know, when you ask this question it's actually a study yeah. um, that can be taken and, and dug into further but I think it's yeah. a good uh, overview if,
5: if it's something you really have a desire to drill into I would highly recommend a uh, professor at Reformed Theological Seminary Michael J. Kruger he runs a blog His, he's got two books The Ca- Question of the Canon and The Canon Revisited um, they're each probably 150 pages or so, 300 ish total. For our leadership group, it's required reading. Um, phenomenal books. And he'll go deeper in those probably than you even want to go. But <laughs> <laughs> when you're done, it's settled, and you know I can trust the text. We know we've got the right books, and there's nothing been found since.
4: Like one of the so, fellows, when FF Bruce wrote, the text and the parchments. And it's probably about that size or a little bigger. Bruce it's bigger. Older. It's an older book. Probably yeah. out of print, but you could find it on.
5: Yeah. One, one thing I'll bring up, too, real quick, is um, this idea, and it gets tossed around. And, and, oh, can I find? Let me see here. Um, did, the, did the apostles know that they were writing Scripture? Right? That's always been a little bit of a, a back and forth, if you will. Um, I would suggest, as would Michael Kruger, that they absolutely knew they were writing scripture. In First Thessalonians chapter 2, 13, uh, Paul says, look, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. Paul knew he was crafting scripture. And there's cross connects between the different uh, letters and gospels. The other men knew they were also writing inspired texts. So there's no question about that. So this idea, yeah. Exactly. There's no question they knew what they were writing. So this argument of, well, they just kind of started sitting down and writing stuff, and somehow the church came along and said, well, this is great, and we're going to make it our text. That's nonsense. So, And I, th- I think that's a good overview.
1: Having read some of that myself, it helps kind of solidify some of those main points in our heads. Um, any other further sort of thoughts on that?
3: You know, so just quick historical, I think this is fascinating because everything he says dead on historically. And uh, every time you have something, uh, the, the canonization of Scripture was a reaction. And so um, what I think that the canonization also points to is the fact that we have a responsibility to guard Scripture and to guard it. And so, uh, you know, again, uh, a guy, Marcion, he's a, he's a heretic, It's 140 A.D., and uh, Gnosticism is his bag, right? And so he starts making his own Bible from the text and cutting out everything, you know, everything good. So everything, uh, uh, Pauline epistles, gone, some of them, gone. Uh, The fact that Jesus is God's son, wiped out. Uh, Anything that's good about God and Jesus in the New Testament, wipes it out. And then he has his own version. And that's when early church fathers came together and said, look, this is, so, obviously, they're going to have a problem with this. This guy's the first one to come along and do this. And that's why we're thankful for men that come along and guard the text and put it in a format that has been passed around or passed down for thousands of years. But it's no different today, right? I mean, we still got different people yeah. trying to change. Yep.
5: Always under attack, right? Constantly. Yeah. And,
1: and I think that's a good point for us practically as we go out of here and from here and what we've heard you can have all the technical, and this is how it worked out, and this is the history. But at the end of the day, are we you know, guarding the, the words of God, the word, the text, faithfully? Are we living according to it, as if it matters? So very good. Um, this next question here, I'll direct toward Ben, because I think it kind of uh, touches on some of the things that you touched on in your message. Um, but this question says, how can we defend the scriptures... From being twisted by unbelievers, mm-hmm. so in other words, unbelievers come along and they really start twisting, and trying to use our own Bible quote against us, you know, type of thing. Yeah. Uh, um, so first of all,
3: let's just go ahead and put it on the table that that's going to happen. Uh, that's not uncommon. That's not unusual. Um, and there's a lot of different reasons for that. One is going to be primarily kind of what we talked about last night is context, right? I mean, there, it, things are taken out of context. And so um, not, not only unbelievers, believers, though. That's why it's so important to understand the context. Um, a guy comes up to you and says, I'm thinking about becoming a Christian because I see in Scripture that I can do all things through Christ. Oh, what's that mean? I'm going to go fly a plane. No, you're not. That is not a good idea. That is not a good idea. Out of context, that's a horrible idea. And so I think that, again, context, it's not just for believers, but it's also unbelievers are taking things out of context. And so it's really, again, just to come back to that, really important for that. um, I made a couple notes here. You know, one thing that I would say is, um, you know, they're not of the Spirit. That would be the other kind of the spiritual side of things, right? When we read Scripture, we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to move in our lives, right? Uh, To encourage, to convict. We've, helped, we've all had that happen at different times when we've read passages and uh, he that's what he does. It's one of the things many things he does, and we'll talk more about that. but I think that it's really important to understand that uh a person who does not have the Holy Spirit, a person who is not saved, you can't expect for them to make clarity out of something that is just uh not supernatural, right? When we read, we read with supernatural eyes through the power of the Holy Spirit. They don't have that. So I would say that's another distinction and reason yeah. why unbelievers are going to mix that up. Absolutely.
2: Well, yeah, go ahead. I would just piggyback on that. It's, it's a question that's coming up in a minute, so I don't want to get into it too much. But we talked about this earlier. If you are well-read in the Scriptures, if you are studying God's Word, you'll be able to mm-hmm. see that and be able to. Because, I mean, if somebody says something and questions the Word of God, and you're like, uh, you know, maybe you're wrong, but I don't know. And that's like Jehovah's Witness comes to your house and you hide because you don't want to talk to them. Because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to have to defend it when you're not even right. sure. You're like, what do me to do a verse? How do I combat that? You have to get in the Word. Yeah, right. We talked about that this weekend. You have to be that's knowledgeable right. to do that. So.
1: Yeah.
4: Any further thoughts? I had an experience as a young man. <clears throat> and to tell you the truth, I'm not sure if I was a believer at the time. I was raised in church, made a profession of faith. I professed to be a believer and I sought to be a, a witness I had two men who were friends of mine young men, boys who were friends of mine and they were cool and smarter than Christians and you know I would say God was all powerful and so they wanted to show me how wrong I was and they would say if God's all powerful can he do anything? And I said sure he can do anything Well, can he pick up a rock? Because he can pick, he create a rock too big for him to pick up and well I was stuck I mean, that's the whole point right? It's the end of the discussion it's not to come up with an answer but what I well, let me ask you, can God do anything? Anything? Can God lie? Right. God can't do anything. God cannot lie. He cannot sin. So, see, it, some of it was just my ignorance. It, it was my, in a, my, my unstudiedness to the point that I, I, I just thought I had to defend God. God can do anything. Well, no, God can't lie. He, can, he is not of the nature to lie or sin. I, I, obviously, When I asked that, you shook your head yes. Because yeah, I mean, God's all powerful, but we we have to qualify answers. We have to wisely respond to things. Sometimes a a question is not meant to learn anything; it's just meant to create an to end an argument, to win an argument. My goal is not. A long time ago, I stopped having to win arguments. I Mm -hmm. I don't have to win. It don't matter. I'm good. There's there's freedom in that too. Yeah, there is a lot. Yeah,
1: there's confidence, knowing that the God we serve is true. So I think being able to come to that point, there's humility, there's freedom, and being able to engage, and even if they don't see it, again, coming back to that point of, well, they're dead and their trespasses and
4: sin. <laughs> what I, else will we expect? I've had that same experience with the Jehovah's Witness. I've had that same experience with a liberal professor in a Christian college. Mm-hmm. The same experience. And, and we need to think and think about what we say and think what Scripture really says about God. It's good.
1: We'll move on to this next question. I'll kind of direct this one towards you, Micah, because the, it, it hits on some things you talked about to the guys, so you might have to give a little context in and, and answer this question. Um, and I think Ben also touched a little bit on it as well. But what are some ways to safeguard yourself from misinterpreting Scripture? So we come to the Word. We're studying the Word. This is kind of that question, how do we study, how do we approach Scripture almost? So what are some ways to safeguard against misinterpreting Scripture? Yeah.
2: Well, uh, oh yeah, i got to use this. Um, it's interesting because we, when we talked about this earlier, we, we brought up hermeneutics, and so I wrote down what we talked about because I didn't want to forget it. Uh, hermeneutics is, is, is the knowledge that deals with interpretation of the text, right? And so there were three things uh, that we talked about. Scripture is the best interpreter. Uh, the text must be taken in context, and we talked a lot about context this week. In fact, we talked about it with the guys, because, you, and again, we just talked about it a second ago. You can say a verse, you know, God is love, and that's wonderful, but what does that mean if you don't, you know, cross-reference it with, with the rest of the Bible? And then Scripture cannot and will not contradict itself. So if you read something, you know, in Ephesians, and then you go read something else in one of the other books, and you go, oh, "Those are different." Well, you need to keep reading. You know, it's not um, God, or you have to go back and, and cross-reference um, that. And it's interesting. I think a lot of people today, Christians. Or non-believers who believe they're Christians, they treat the scripture like it's like a chicken soup for the soul. You know, it's you you go there to get your your good feelings on. You know, and, and God is good, and 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 churches will propagate that. And and the truth is, it's not. You know, scripture is there for our daily living. It is there for and so when you go to scripture to interpret it. You have to come at it appropriately. And you should, I think everybody here should, if you've never heard the word hermeneutics, uh, if you have, that's cool too. But go study that and, and figure that out. Figure out what it is, what it means to study scripture. Um, because the principles of interpretation are important. I, I told the guys uh, when we were in there, one of the things I said, I said there was a religious leader um, who I was listening to once. And he said, I get an idea you know, in my head and then I, I go to scripture and I find something to back it up. Mm-hmm. And and that is, and I told the guys, that is the infancy, infancy of what leads to heretical teaching and false teaching and ideas. And that's how movements got started, and people, you know, walk off a cliff with these guys. And that is so dangerous because not only does he not understand God and scripture, but the very people he will teach and lead. Are going to follow that that same thing. It's so dangerous. Anyway, I would you know it's yeah. now. But also remember this. If Dad and I talked about this, uh, we were talking about some guys who had discussed a particular topic, and finally came to the thing saying, "You know what? We don't know everything about Scripture. Mm-hmm. That's okay." First Corinthians uh, it says thirteen it says, "Now we see through a glass darkly." Mm. It's because we're not gonna know all of that. We won't know everything To and no, then we're not supposed to know everything either, you know, until we get there. That's why we're learning about guys, why we're pressing towards the mark. So
1: Yeah, and I think Ben, you made a comment in our discussion about this idea of being emotion driven. Yeah.
2: Experience driven. Experience
1: driven. Right. Yeah. And I think that's that's key because if we 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 can't discount emotion because emotions are real. Tomorrow you might be happy because or actually tomorrow you might be sad because you're leaving. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I will say it. Everybody's going to have an emotional response when they leave tomorrow. You've been on a high this weekend. Well, that's not a great time to try and interpret your life or where you should be going, what you should be doing. But I would say get in the Word and learn how to study God's Word because that's going to ground you and bring you back to reality. You know?
3: And I would say, too, uh, just like a couple of just practical tips to piggyback. One of them you've already said, but one, I would say read the whole Bible. If you've not read the whole Bible... I don't know what to tell you. Like I just, you gotta you gotta have some of that muscle, right? It's build that muscle. You may not understand it, but get through it. Read it. Get an understanding for the flow of the Old and New Testament text. Uh, Another practical thing: be in a good local church, right? Being in a good local church with good men and women who can help you work through that and disciple you, and in turn you disciple other people. And finally, I would say just resources. You know, have good resources. And you know, of course, we've got some. I think Daniel and Charles and these folks did a great job of putting some good resources in the back of your booklet. Take advantage of those. Look at those. Uh, There's a treasure trove there. Yeah. Which?
4: Go ahead. No, I just. I was. He something he said in his message made me think of passage in 1 Corinthians 15 on the resurrection. Most of you, if you've been Christian a little while or been in church, you know that 1 Corinthians 15 is about Paul defending the doctrine of the resurrection. And in that he says, or else why would we be, would someone be baptized for the dead if the dead are not raised? Anybody know what that means? If you do, we need to get you up here and make an explanation. I have no clue. And that's okay. I really don't know what Paul meant. Now, Al Mohler says he does, and I've listened to his explanation. He's a smart guy. He may be right. I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm just saying most commentators would say, we're really not sure about that. That's okay, too. It's okay, as Phil said, or maybe it was Ben, I think, who said in his message. It's okay to say, I don't know. Okay? And then maybe you have some chance to look, to research, talk, to other, look at other resources, and, and then go. I think you some... Two
5: things. One, let me give you a resource. Um, it's called Living by the Book by Howard Hendricks, and it's The Art and Science of Reading the Bible. It's, it's a very solid, practical, hermeneutics type book, but without getting way, way deep in the weeds. Um, and Howard Hendricks, terrific writer. Um, the other thing, in selecting a church, ideally you want a church that preaches expositionally. If you've got a pastor that's going through the Bible verse by verse by verse, you're going to see how interpretive skills work and operate. So that that's the yeah, ideal church. When you serve that kind of
4: systematic preaching, you preaching. just it like
5: osmosis, exactly. you just absorb yeah. that because it yeah. And so I say expositional preaching is the biblical method. And there's some great books, and Living by the Book is one of my favorites. Well, it's interesting. You guys
1: are all doing these read this, study this. This will be helpful. And the next question was, what commentaries or other supplemental resources do you recommend for studying Scripture? And, again, I think we would refer you to that resource page, which will take you to our website, and it will click directly where you can purchase. And, And some of these may be online studies. Some of these may be books i 'm um, going to tell you right now you 're not going to find somebody you agree with one hundred percent but you 'll find some people that will challenge you in these
4: lists that we 've given who 're solid on the fundamentals of the faith yes the five what well, we call the five fundamentals they, if they 're solid on that, we may have different views about church and church
2: practice and I'm not either agreeing or disagreeing with them. I'm saying you're just going to run into that. Yeah. There's the, the series that uh, Matthew Barrett does, and I talked about it with the guy, Solo Scriptura. It's the five solas. And it's, there's a book for each one of them. They're thick. And I'm only halfway through the first one. Yeah, right. But it's really good. If, when we're talking about the Solo Scriptura here, but that, that's a really good resource. That really has caused me to <laughs> yeah. just think a lot really about what we're yeah.
5: Yeah. doing. Supplemental but, but build a library. Don't buy the, I call it the fluff and stuff books. Yeah. You, you go into a Christian bookstore today and it's like a gift shop full of trinkets and fluff and stuff. Um, get solid resources. You're going to keep the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's it what up you and want. Underline yeah. it. And study and it. Yeah. Study it. Yeah. Dig into it. And
4: don't feel like it's not unusual for people who just don't get into reading, especially guys. But don't feel like you have to read three hours a day, read 15, 20 minutes a day. That's right. Just saying, okay, I'm going to take this book. I'm going to read 15, 20 minutes or three days a week or whatever. Just something that is somewhat achievable. One of the books, by the way, we were going to recommend, I think it's out of print, by Geisler, is uh, Christ, the Key to Interpreting Scripture. Good little book. You might find that used, and that's one to look at.
0: Thank you for joining us this week. If you have questions about P4C, visit our website at p4csummit.org. Or you can email us at info at p4csummit.org. We hope you can join us next week on the P4C podcast as we listen to part two of this message. May God bless you as you seek to passionately live for his glory each and every day.